so excited to be here. Um, and I'm super excited for today's guest. You guys probably know him. His name is the Jerry Harris. Like that's what his mom named him, the Jerry Harris. It was it was magnificent. Um, the people who do birth certificates fought back. It was a whole ordeal. So now it's just Jerry or Jer Bear, whatever you prefer. But either way, Jerry, if you'll just no one calls him Jer Bear, by the way, that was not true. Jerry, please just give us a little introduction about who you are, what you do, and all that good stuff. Uh, I am uh, the former lead pastor of the Crossing. That uh, transition just changed January 1st. So now I'm a teaching pastor at the Crossing. I'll be doing that for the next few years, Lord willing. And uh, I've been here for 24 years. I was at a little church in West Central Indiana, town of 900 people, 11 years for 11 years before that, and did youth ministry before that. So um, been in ministry over 40 years now. And um, uh, the, 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 thing, the thing that I'm going to be, I guess, focusing on today is uh, something that happened uh, to me about five years ago uh, when, when I was on the board of Solomon Foundation. We uh, found out that, the, that Christian Standard Magazine was about to end, and uh, we did a, a, a lot of work. Uh, to retain that magazine and, and that heritage. And uh, through the process of that, I found myself kind of from the back door to the front door, uh, becoming the publisher of that magazine. And so um, I think it's the seventh oldest uh, continually published uh, magazine in the United States. Um, though, you know, going back to 1866, I'll share some things about that. Uh, with you in a little while, but uh, those are kind of the, the the bigger things that uh, I'm a I'm a pastor of a of a local church, and I also publish this magazine. Okay, um, first question: You guys have completely given the Christian Standard a facelift whenever um, we inherited it as the Christian Standard Media um, Solomon inherited it. You gave it a completely big facelift was there pushback on that did people receive it well what did that look like for you as the publisher okay well there's a lot of things I could say about uh the magazine uh of course I've known about it since I was a kid uh I started uh in the Christian church when I was in sixth grade so uh Christian standard was the was the primary uh publication of Standard Publishing, and Standard Publishing uh, did virtually all of the publishing for the Christian church. So if you had a, a vacation Bible school, they did it. If you were going through a, a class, a Sunday school class, they were doing it, and uh, just about everything that that came through in print form. I mean, and when you, if you do some research, they did a lot of things before anybody else did, like uh, color printing. They were the first uh, company that did color color printing for Christian uh, periodicals or any type of uh, Christian printing. 
They also invented the flannel graph. Some of you guys are old enough to remember that. And uh, they were the first people to actually do that. So they did a lot of innovative things a long time ago. And uh, anyway, there's just been an evolution of, of Christian Standard over the years. Got to the place where I was personally pretty uncomfortable with it. I didn't like some of the articles that were coming out. I can still remember the day I got really frustrated and uh, they did one uh, called uh, the the sex issue. And uh, there was some stuff in it. I just, you know, I actually went over to the thing that was attached to the wall and took them out, threw them in the trash, told my uh, administrative assistant, we're going to quit ordering that. And uh, uh, that was that was kind of my attitude. It used to be published weekly, and uh, it was kind of an adult take-home paper is really what it was. So churches would buy them in bulk. They would set them on their foyer tables. People would pick them up as they left church. Uh, they had Sunday school lessons in them. A lot of Sunday school classes used those Sunday school lessons. That's kind of how I grew up and how I remembered them. And uh, they did a lot of advertising for all the other things that Standard Publishing did. Standard Publishing at the time was a for-profit organization, and it, it's been around since 1872. So a lot of what we recognize in the independent Christian church uh, was born out of all of that uh, content that, that was created over those years. Um, so... Uh, I had a kind of an adverse relationship with Christian Standard, and then, uh, but the idea of uh, of it going away uh, really hit me in a negative way. And uh, there was a, it had been purchased uh, by um, a venture capital group, and it was a for profit organization, and uh, uh, they dismantled it, uh, sold most of the things off that Standard Publishing did, but hadn't sold off the magazine, Lookout Magazine or, or Christian Standard. And uh, that was when we found out about it. That was in 20, uh, that was around December 2016. And uh, we had a couple of meetings at the Solomon Foundation about it. And uh, uh, we decided to take it on. And I was asked uh, to manage that and become the publisher of that. And I did that in starting in February. And the first one that I published was in July, uh, I believe of 2017. And there was just a lot of stuff about the magazine that was really, in my opinion, pretty substandard. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good coffee table magazine. It was a throwaway magazine. And uh, it needed more substantive articles. And uh, anyway, uh, we made a whole lot of changes. And your question was, how did people receive it? Um, I think they received it well. The problem was the magazine had gotten so dated. There were very few people under the age of 70 that were even using. It. So we had to do an awful lot of work to try to make it relevant to younger generations while at the same time holding on to all of the standards of our beliefs. The other thing that's happened in the restoration movement is if you were to um, ask a hundred people in your church 
Tell me something about the restoration movement. I think 97 of them wouldn't be able to do that. Maybe more. I think very few people have uh, very much education on, on the history of our movement. And Megan, I'd like to talk about that uh, if that answers your question. Yeah. So, so just to kind of recap, you did the facelift to kind of bring in a younger audience targeting more than just um, trying to hit all the generations, right? Yeah, that was, that, was, that was probably one of the easiest things we did. We did we've done an awful lot of things, but um, if, if you don't uh, understand what the restoration movement is, then you probably don't see a value for Christian standard. And if you don't know who other uh, churches are that are in that uh, network, uh, and you're more of an isolated, our independence makes us isolated, you probably don't know that either. So uh, that, that, that's what brought on the idea of, of doing the ccchurchlink.com, which is on the website, and then changing the entire format, becoming uh, we became right away a not-for-profit organization, so uh, wasn't for-profit anymore. And then, uh, and then we went, uh, we really uh, built online, and then we made the magazine free online. So uh, that that changed the entire framework of how the the magazine did business because we really wanted to get the message out, and we didn't want anything. Uh, pushing against that. So those so were a lot the, of big hurdles, a lot of big hurdles. As the magazine has evolved, um, has the target audience evolved at all? I know, like you said that it was kind of designed for the everyday churchgoer. Is that stu still who you're trying to target or has it also changed? No, it's, it's, it's definitely more of, of a leadership magazine but uh, because a lot of what we address is going to uh, be more in the mind of a leader, uh, but it does have a lot of impact for anybody that's serious about the church or about uh, what we believe or why we believe it, what our distinctives are, things like that. Is there a specific generation? Or are you trying to hit all of them with different articles and different authors? Well, we're really trying to hit a wide target. But uh, uh, we had uh, it, it was mostly baby boomers and uh, uh, that, that had that were still reading it. And um, uh, so we weren't we weren't getting Gen X. We weren't getting any millennials or definitely not Gen Z. So. Uh, you know, we've targeted a lot of writers that are under the age of 40. Um, we've also, it, it was also uh, not really addressing uh, the issue of race. Um, and uh, that really needed to be addressed. Uh, we've, uh, and a lot of the relationship between uh, the Solomon Foundation and the African American Church of Christ Brothers really uh, opened up a lot of doors and a lot of opportunities to build those bridges and tell those stories. So let me ask you another question. When it comes to writing, um, how do you 
how do your people pick topics? Well, that was another thing I changed because uh, what had been in the past is there was an editorial board and uh, they would meet once a year, have a retreat, meet once a year and pick topics. And um, they were pretty random. And then they would do what was called a query system where they had a like a whole stable of writers and uh, their writers would send in ideas of things they wanted to write about. And then the editor would pick whatever writers uh, submissions he wanted to use and would connect those to the topics that they wanted. Uh, what I did was a much more targeted approach. So I would come up with the themes myself. And uh, then uh, a lot of those uh, authors, I, I handpicked. I felt, I felt like many ways, Christian Standard has kind of lost its way and I wanted to get it back in the, in the right framework. And so we abandoned the query system and uh, did away with the, uh, uh, that board and, um, and reorganized that way. And uh, uh, I think that's really been a benefit to us. So I do know that one of the things Christian Standard has done and, and done really well is, um, like you had mentioned just a few uh, minutes ago, the incorporation of race and women and um, uniting different streams. And I think that you've done it really well because those are very delicate situations and it can either be done great or it can be a complete disaster. Why do you think, um, one, it worked so well for you and two, um, why was it so important for the Christian standard to acknowledge these things, to promote these people, um, in addition to also adding younger voices as well? Why was that so important for the magazine? Well, I think that the magazine had targeted a specific audience of a specific age and a specific race and a specific gender. And, uh, uh, and it was, there was a lot of homogeneity in it and uh, it really needed a much wider appeal. And, um, you know, that was one of the problems that I had with it. And then, you know, the opportunities presented themselves because I believe that, well, I don't believe this, I know this, that the restoration movement was designed to be a unity movement. And uh, uh, unity is not something that we do very well, especially trying to balance autonomy and unity and uh that can be done but there needs to be uh there needs to be a voice that reinforces that like i said most people don't even know what the restoration movement stands for what we were uh what we were created for um everybody has a story you have a story i have a story right and uh we call that a testimony and uh, you have a made-for-TV story, and then you have a director's cut story. And that is, the, you know, there's stuff in your life that you don't want to tell other people, or that you'll only tell some people uh, that you really trust, because, you know, uh, we like to present the best version of ourselves. But we have a story, and a story is really valuable. Uh, every church has a story. And uh, a lot of churches like to tell their story. If you get on their website, they'll have a little something about their story, like what makes them who they are. Well, 
restoration movement is also a story and it's an incredible story. And uh, we don't, a lot of people don't know or tell that story now. And that's a, that to me was the problem. Um, I just noticed yesterday, <coughs> Spire uh, did a post on social media about Fred Gray. And uh, because it was Martin Luther King Day and uh, they did a, a, a post about Fred Gray. They used the picture that from uh, Christian Standard and referred to Christian Standard. The, the fact is, is that all the people that I asked before I did the story on Fred Gray, nobody that I knew of in our circles had heard about Fred Gray. And uh, before that, um, I did a story on Marshall Keeble, and it was because of a friend that I made uh, in an African-American Church of Christ in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I've asked a number of people uh, that I know that are, I'm in relationship with about who Marshall Keeble is. Now, if, if you're in the independent Christian church, or, and you've heard, and you read that magazine, you heard me talk, you know who he is, but uh, if you haven't, then you don't. If you're in the if you're in the non-instrumental Church of Christ, you'd probably know who he is. Um, if you're in the African American Church of Christ, you definitely know who he is. And a lot of people wouldn't know who Fred Gray was, and that he was like one of the biggest personalities in the civil rights movement, and he was a Restoration Church pastor the entire time. He was representing Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Claudette Colvin and the uh, Tuskegee Syphilis Study and the uh, Selma to Montgomery March and uh, the, the desegregation of schools in Alabama, which also went to universities, became the benchmark uh, for all desegregation. And uh, he was one of Marshall Keeble's preacher boys. That's a story that my stream of the independent Christian church had no knowledge of. And uh, we're better together. We're just way better together. Um, and that keeps presenting itself to me. So when we can get into relationships, make friends, talk, we learn a lot about each other that we didn't know before. And there's a lot, there's a lot out there for us if we just discover it. But we can't discover it unless we're committed to unity. And uh, that was a basis for, um, for what started the restoration movement. Caused a lot of division because this is, you know, relationships are ugly. But uh, uh, it was always out of this desire to be unified and be able to maintain our freedom at the same time. So that I just mentioned race. Uh, uh, I, I also do those things with regards to, to gender and um, uh, with regards to age. So um, kind of interesting as a preacher, um, you know, one of the things that I ask myself is, well, how do I want, uh, what do I want people to know? Uh, how do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do as a result of uh, uh, the sermon that I preach? 
But I would have to say that my generation is more a do generation. What do I want them to do? And, you know, I'm a product of the church growth movement. I think that more and more in younger generations is how do I want them to feel? It's not that all three of those things don't continue to be important, but it's just like generationally different generations emphasize one or the other. And that's why I think you have to have multi-generational voices because you have to hear what other generations might be saying. I'm I'm switching to a, there you are again. uh, All I was seeing was a snowman. Still all I'm seeing. I don't know why. So I'm switching. Does that mess anything up? Me switching to the gallery view? No, no. Okay. Um, I think one of the reasons that you do these things so well as the Christian standard is because you do it without compromising on um, where you land on things. And I'm really speaking more towards um, the younger issue, like people being younger and women. And um, there's not as much controversy as I thought there would be um, by having women writers because some people are, you know, um, women in leadership roles or which I think that has a leadership voice. Um, There's a struggle there. So I appreciate that. But I do want to segue into um, another question. What, uh, where, where rather, where do you see the Christian standard in the next five years? What is your goal for it? Um, And what would you like to see out of that? I think Christian standard provides a common voice. Uh, it it provides a a space where uh, we can articulate uh, what we believe, why we believe it, what our distinctives are, why those are valuable. And I think that's getting pretty lost uh, in our, in our movement. And I think there needs to be that voice. I also think we need to understand who we are. There needs to be a network and that's why that network is there. And, um, and I need, I, I think that, Uh, We need to know what we're anchored to. Um, uh, I I don't even know who's teaching uh, Restoration History anymore uh, at at school and along with church history. um, uh, Probably ought to know that. But uh, it it is not like, I don't know, this question and answer, it might be, I don't want this to be boring to people, but uh, there's nothing about it that's boring. It's it's like super exciting when when you get into the lives of these people, what they were dealing with, uh, how they were managing, what was the context of their life, and how that informs uh, the way that we are now. Um, I'm so proud to be a part of the restoration movement. I'm just so proud to be because. Uh, I mean, we're all imperfect people, but in so many ways, the people that started the restoration movement, they did it right. Even though they were in a process of discovery, they did so many things right. Um, you know, I do, I do reading now that I would have, would have bored me to death years ago. I was reading like the major points of the, you know, if you guys know Thomas Campbell's Declaration and Address, there's the declaration, then there's address, and then there's all these points he's making. And the point that he makes, uh, I think it's the third or the fourth, fourth point, you know, when he talks about that we're just going to use the Bible as our only rule of faith and practice. I mean, how, 
I mean, that was a novel idea when he wrote it. I mean, think about that. And how many churches give into things like tradition and, you know, just what they're used to, and they don't understand that we, we can unite. We don't have to have a creed to unite on uh, the Bible's our only rule of faith and practice. And then the preference of the how the New Testament informs the Old Testament. So that's why we're called New Testament Christians. Um, I also found out today, not uh, well, no, it was yesterday, I actually found out yesterday that, uh, that I was actually misspeaking. I said that uh, Barton Stone was the guy who actually coined the name Christian Church, that he was the first guy who did it, Stone Campbell Movement. And I actually said that uh, at uh, the 220th anniversary of the Cane Ridge revival at Cane Ridge in Stone's pulpit. And the, one of the guys in front of me uh, was Dr. Doug Foster from Abilene. The guy that was sitting up at uh, the top was, was Bob Russell. And I remember saying that, and that's actually not true. Uh, and I just found that out yesterday, that there was a guy maybe you don't know of, uh, maybe you do, named Rice Haggard. And uh, Rice Haggard uh, had a, a, a talk with James O'Kelly, and this has to do with the Methodist stream of the Restoration Movement, not the Presbyterian stream. It was just Stone that made it famous. So uh, Rice Haggard didn't make it famous, but Stone made it famous. But the first guy to say, let's just call it the Christian church was actually a guy named Rice Haggard. Like some people would say, oh, that's no big deal. But you know what? Most all of you have Christian church next year on your sign. And you don't even know why we do it. I mean, why did we do that? And what did that come from? That's all very interesting. That's all part of our story. Why do we say that? Why do we? Why is that important to us? Uh, what were the, what were the reasons? What were what were in the people's heads that, that uh, caused them to do that? So I just think that's really interesting. And uh, you know, I was born into a Methodist home. And I was christened in a Methodist church. And so uh, reading about James O'Kelly, and you know what he called them? He called them Republican Methodists. Uh, because they used the term Republican is interchangeable with free. Like, so they were saying free Methodists. And uh, the reason that he did it was because uh, there was one guy in charge of all of North America telling people where they could and couldn't circuit ride. Have you heard of circuit riding preachers, right? Horseback circuit riding preachers. Well, that was more of a Methodist thing. And that was uh, Francis Asbury. And Francis Asbury was a tyrant. And uh, a bunch of these guys were saying, we don't want to go where he's making us go. We want to ride where we want to ride. And uh, that's what started that whole part of our movement, which we don't talk about a lot. We don't talk about, we talk about Stone Campbell. We don't talk a lot about James O'Kelly and Rice Haggard and why those things were that way. I guarantee you, all you guys on this call, you would not like it if somebody came into your office and said, you know the way you're doing it now? You got to stop that right now. I don't think you'd be okay with that. And, you know, that's a lot of what birthed our movement is that people were saying, you know, I want to be able to, to do this. In the Methodist church, it wasn't even the Methodist church. They were Methodist societies back then. And a Methodist preacher was not allowed to marry, bury, ordain, uh, 
he wasn't allowed to uh, uh, do any of those things because you had to be like ordained in the Anglican church to do that. That he wasn't able to do them or he wasn't able to get married or be buried. No, he was able to. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Anyway, I mean, we don't understand a lot of those things. And I think those are really exciting because it helps shape who we are. It's, It's part of our story. So we have contemporary things that are really, really powerful about part of our story. You know, one of the big things you think about, Megan, is it, because you you write an art, article uh, for uh, Standard is about what, what are women's roles? I mean, if I were to ask you, was there ever a female president of a restoration movement, independent Christian church Bible college, what would you say? A female president. There is now. There, no, there was. Does she get let go at uh, it was John, It was Johnson Bible College, which became Johnson University, and it was about 100 years ago. Oh, well. A lot of people, lot of people wouldn't know that, you good know. Good for her. I don't know if that, well, might, you know, that depends on your, you know, your <laughs> point of view, your position. But I think that those things kind of inform us a little bit. The, the things that people argued about, uh, con- compared to now, the evangelical church has come so far uh, from uh, where it was in the late 1800s. I don't want to get too far into history, but I love the I love how Christian standards attached to that. You know, you got the contemporary stuff, but Megan, I want to do something that's interesting. I think you'll find it interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, early on, and Renee, you're going to remember this, early on, uh, you called me because we were spending money on a storage unit in Cincinnati, and you wanted to get that off the books because we're trying to figure out how to save money and survive, right? So I drove over there in my truck, and I met uh, Mike Mack uh, and Jim Neiman and Sean McMullen, and because uh, uh, to, to, none of us knew what was in this storage unit. Well, what was in the unit was everything that was in the library and museum of standard publishing. And I wrote an article about it. I think it was back in, it was either in 2017 or 2018. And I ended up bringing all that stuff back. So what I'm gonna do right now is I'm gonna flip my screen Okay, I'm going to show you where I am. So you might want to get off of the gallery view just to see where I am. Okay, so uh, I'm in a uh, I, I'm in our uh, offices, our multi-site offices, and we created this library. So you're looking at what used to be the standard publishing library, and I'm just going to take you to a few things. Okay, so. I'm going to take you over here. Can you all see that? That is the very first edition of Christian Standard. If you, if I, can you see the date? April 7th, 1866. Crazy. And what it is, is you see that it says Alexander Campbell. This is the obituary 
of Alexander Campbell. It was the first issue of Christian Standard uh, from April 1866. Uh, and that, um, follow me over here. And I'm going to open this up. These are all the original Christian standards, starting with 1866 moving forward. So it's, this is our history. This is all of our history in the restoration movement. This is back when all three streams were one stream, right? And it just keeps going. And so all of these cabinets are full of restoration stand, uh, uh, are, uh, the Christian standard. So let me show you this. This is a picture of President Garfield, James Garfield. Yeah. And uh, he was in a meeting in uh, Ohio uh, right after the Civil War in 1866. And he said, somebody needs to raise a standard. And there were some really important people in that room. The guy who invented the typewriter was in that room. Uh, the uh, man who run, ran the B&O Railroad, uh, the Phillips Petroleum Brothers, uh, a lot of really powerful people. Anyway, uh, and that's why it's called Christian Standard, because somebody had to raise a standard. So churches, I mean, you think about how many people died, men died in the Civil War, and uh, they didn't have preachers, and places were burnt down. Anyway, I'm going to show you this. I just happened to find this when we were opening this up. This is a letter to Jenny Errett. It's written on stationery. You see how it's uh, the border's black. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is another one written on stationery. And I'm going to take this off the wall. And this might be hard for you to see. But do you see the signature? <laughs> the, the signature is Lucretia Garfield. Said the first lady. This is the first lady of the United States. And she's writing Jenny Errett. Jenny Errett was the daughter of this guy. This is Isaac Errett. This is an oil painting. If you go to David C. Cook Publishing, you'll see a picture. You'll see a picture of this, but this is the actual painting of, uh, of Isaac Errett. And they hired Isaac Errett to start Christian Standard. And, uh, and then this is his son. Russell Errett, and he started uh, something called the Young People Standard that ended up later on becoming this, the Lookout Magazine. And uh, that started in the 1880s. Um, let me show you this. Those of you guys that are into restoration movement. So you've all probably heard of Alexander Campbell and he was known for publishing a magazine called the Millennial Harbinger. Mm -hmm. Well, there's the original prospectus of Alexander Campbell's Millennial Harbinger. This is where he got permission uh, to do it. And that's the original. Okay. Before he did that, he wrote uh, uh, a periodical called the Christian Baptist. And that 
is uh, his prospectus for the Christian Baptist. So this is a, from 1832. So uh, how old is that? It's like 190 years old, right? And uh, let me show you this on the back of it. Let's see if you can see this. Do you see that right there? That's his signature. Wow. That's Alexander Campbell's signature on the back of the perspective for the prospectus for the Christian Baptist. Um, some of you that have been to Christian Church, Church of Christ Bible College, these are all first editions of, oh, let me see, Isaac Errett. Evening with Evenings with the Bible, uh, J.W. McGarvey. Um, these are some original J.W. McGarvey stuff. It's absolutely amazing. So we're going we're going through uh, this. Uh, I'm going to switch back. I could do this all day, but uh, that was what was in the storage unit. And if Renee hadn't, uh, I got to do this. Let me see, go back there. Uh, if I hadn't, if, if Renee hadn't called me and we had stopped paying that bill, that would have all been thrown, all this would have been thrown away. Storage wars. That's insane. And it's our heritage. It, it's part of our story. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're Church of Christ, non-instrumental. All churches were non-instrumental when it started. Uh, uh, Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, uh, African American Church of Christ. Doesn't matter. This is this is a, a lot of our collected heritage. I only showed you a few things, but but uh, it's fast. Not only fascinating historically, it's it's amazing to. It gives you perspective on what we do in in uh, uh, in our roles today. So um, it informs us in our roles today. So I thought I would just take you on that. I don't know if you have any more questions for me. We're getting down to it time wise. Yeah, th thank you so much for that tour. I've actually been to Quincy and um, was never offered to go to the uh, museum. So shame on you, Jerry. But at this time, real quick, I want everyone to do me a favor. Raise your right hand. You're on video so I can see you. Raise your, thank you. And repeat after me. I state your name, solemnly swear, <laughs> to subscribe to the Christian Standard online for free. To subscribe to the Christian Standard <laughs> already. Okay. And I hereby declare that I will talk to my elders about getting the magazine delivered to our church to help increase readership and educate my people on our heritage. Amen. Or may God strike me dead. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think Renee had um, one last question and then um, she, can, she can take us out. 